Welcome to the Meltzone podcast. This is episode 37 from August 14th, 2020. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And I just became a father. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're not go only going to do father talk uh, on this podcast episode, maybe just a little, but I'm still looking, I think, quite healthy for the moment and still get, get a bit of sleep. So, yeah, on other topics uh short just talking about 3d scanning and tom's latest video and some cool 3d scanning sublimation sprays and stuff like that um then again 3d printed food kfc 3d printing chicken nuggets um is that something we should look forward to so let's see two kind of bike topics um, Superstrata is showing off their first custom 3D printed unibody carbon bike, which is really cool. And uh, then the ramble starts, and we just have a quick talk about Big Rep's fully 3D printed motorcycle and if it's really fully 3D printed. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. Then, in more news, uh, there is now a 3D printed gunpowder call quote-unquote substitute um we talk about like how that could be used that that 3d printed uh approach could be used in more propellant uh applications there is now an open norm for open hardware um you know aside from the already existing open source hardware association definition there's now an official german the norm as we have for everything for open hardware as well um and staying on the topic of open source Dr. Joshua Pierce now has an open source computer vision approach that can do something similar to what the spaghetti detective is. We look into that. 3D printed houses. That's where we get into the rants. Um, there's a there's been a new 3D printing housing company that that's made an announcement about you know we've we now cheaper we now better we now faster. And the biggest rant of them all: Kickstarter 3D printers and Kickstarter 3D uh, products in general. Why I don't do them? Why Stefan has been cautious with them as well? And yeah, we don't want to do too much ranting. So we also answer a question about printing exotic materials and ordering them from Shapeways. Stefan, you look awake, refreshed, holding up. How 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 is it being one extra person now? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> it is it is different. It is well, it is different, but it's also nice. To be totally honest, um, I can be really happy at the moment that I still get quite a lot of sleep, even though I still feel a bit exaggerated. Uh, no, not exaggerated. Exhausted. Exhausted. That's the right word. <laughs> but so far, so good. Uh, yeah, our daughter is kind of, well, just wanting to drink once a night and my wife's taking care of that and i have a really good sleep so i just basically sleep through all the night uh yeah but it yeah. is different so, and it will be different yeah so so obviously for those of you not in the know stefan just become a dad became a dad um a week or two ago and yeah so living with a newborn um Again, I, I think you, you, you've taken it pretty well. And like I've already said, I think you're going to be a great dad. Congrats uh, to you. the new family edition, all yeah. that. Ah, oh, nice. nice. You, nice. you would yeah, not actually so imagine what, what kind of sounds a baby can do just 
when it's lying around from squeaking noises to coughing noises to whatever and well if it's if it's the first time for you you not always really know what what to do with it so it's an interesting experience <laughs> i mean my, my closest experience to being a dad is uh when my half sister was born um so i was 14 at the time um so i basically got to be the you know somewhere between a young uncle and mm -hmm. a, an older brother i mean being 14 years older um I am the I'm I'm more on the adult side than on the on the bro <laughs> side I guess but uh, yeah I did get to experience the, uh, the the baby the baby thing not as a hey you have to be there but as like yeah. you can be there yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, you, it, it's gonna be interesting yeah for it's sure. gonna be interesting you're it's, gonna have lots to laugh and <laughs> yeah and lots memories. to cry. <laughs> um, well, sure sure but <laughs> the the most interesting and and well. That's that's probably that's probably exaggerated, but one of the things I am really curious about is is how it affects my work because previous previously I I think I had still a lot of spare time that I used for all of that three D printing stuff. Currently, I'm still on parental leave for another six weeks or something like that, so still plenty of I guess free time, but when normal work is starting back up again, I really need to figure out how to delegate work, how to produce videos faster, and just to get yeah. everything more streamlined. Um, time management. Time management. Really? I'm, I'm horrible. Set aside. Set. So am I. Uh, set aside time for. I mean, <laughs> who am I to give tips on time management? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Set aside time slots for. Okay, these two hours, I'm going to be working on that, and that. Please, yeah. please, do not disturb uh, that entire thing. Oh. Maybe, maybe I'm, it's finally the the chance to at least get a bit over my procrastination habit. <laughs> And just to notice, okay, you need to work now, otherwise that work's not going to be finished. You just talked about, you know, uh, borrowing a PS4 and playing Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, <laughs> so, so what what else are you planning to to fit into your twenty four hour day? Are you just skipping sleep? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm really bad in sleep um, deprivation. Um, well. Playing video games from time to time is just it's just something for me to relax and True. I still need to do that in some way, I hope. And as I said, since I'm still having six weeks of parental leave, um, I hope that I find the time to get through Ghost of Tsushima. Oh, I don't really know. Oh, it's called I'm sorry sorry anyone who uh <laughs> is a native japanese speaker <laughs> we're, we're butchering everything but <laughs> we'll we're, see we're trying. yeah we'll see we'll see um yeah time management is is probably going to get really really interesting but we'll see the, the real question though is have you 3d printed anything uh for your daughter or you know the baby yet um well, I think not directly for the baby, but we have one of these like wooden baby chairs and we had a used one, which I kind of renovated and the feet that it had below it, which are like specially formed for sliding stuff on and off of it. Um, I actually 3D printed those, but otherwise, no, not yet. 
no not yet um, choking hazard still scared <laughs> i don't know true true at some point i guess and while you're you're busy producing poop, I'm I'm also producing my own poop. <laughs> so by the time this podcast is going live, this will have um, released as well. So yeah, one of my babies, the uh, the Mark III, has made some poop finally. Uh, polycarbonate blend, Prusament, really nice material. But if you print it in an open space, it's gonna peel. Like if you try to, I don't have the original part here, but if you try to print like a full sized, uh, you know, covering the entire bit, I'm surprised that it worked, but it just peeled off. And I got, I think, one of my first hardened encasements um, that I ever got. Okay. Yeah, I think so far prints have yeah. always stuck down, or I've been there and um, you know was able to intervene early enough. But yeah, you can see the um, the hole where the hot was. was in. But you just heat it up, you pull yeah. it off, and it's it's fine. Y you are not regularly using silicone socks on your hot ends especially no, the 3d ones no. yeah those are those are the killer and this was the reason why i designed my own at some point because if they just well they get grabbed by the print they are just slid down a little bit from like the nozzle and then all of the material just goes in between the space of the silicone sock and and the hot end and, and it just gets redirected yeah, up exactly yeah. yeah thankfully this was all yeah. down like you can see it's it's like barely going up yeah. the side of the of the heater block yeah. so yeah so i 3d scanned this um and i really don't know what my intention was with that <laughs> video um i threw it into blender made a here let me, let me show you Ooh, made a like no a poly version so it's not the classic low poly where it's just every triangle is mm -hmm. the same size roughly. It is uh, in Blender the angle mode. So it's like, ah, a, okay. it looks really cool when it's rendered. When it's printed, yeah. it just looks like garbage, honestly. Uh, so <laughs> I I already had shot the, the whole process, so I still made a video out of it. But I don't know, is this art? It <sighs> looks really cool, especially in the, what's the, color of the filament called that's the mystic green mystic green push and mystic green uh, yeah it has a really really nice shine so yeah yeah <laughs> and it's the original has a lot of interesting texture that's just why i uh <laughs> why i thought I, I needed to do something with it i don't know it's poop um i've up, i've also uploaded that to push windows so if, if somebody else wants to do anything with this cool i know but yeah uh got to try the uh do you have any of the stuff the a sub uh scanning spray um i was it know gonna of, send you some no i know of it but i, I have never used it so here. far um i think at my company we i think we finally purchased some because it's if you have like intrigue parts it's easier to, to clean them off with that stuff because it just yeah. sublimates away yeah um so. but i have never used it are you happy with it it's not that expensive though I they they accidentally sent me like a dozen cans. Okay, <laughs> so I don't know how much it is, but uh, it's actually really cool. Um, it smells like solvents, uh, and if you look at the MSDS, there is like this stuff is like sixty percent solvents. Okay, um, but it does create a, a really nice thin, fine foam essentially on your part. Okay, and you can you can wipe it off with your fingers, but after a few hours, it just disappears. And this part, I've not cleaned it off. It feels like there's never been anything on it. Okay um but if yeah, you're really happy and it's yeah but if you're saying it, it creates a foam layer on top one of the things that i would be scared of if i use 3d scanning not just for reproducing the part but to do real measurements do you think it, it 
adds a lot of like thickness to the part i well it does add thickness for sure but it's it i don't think it is a lot because you, first of all you're not putting a lot of material on okay um and there is a lot of really fine detail in here that mm. the scanner didn't pick up that's just because the scanner isn't you know good enough for that but just visually it was really hard to tell mm. that there is a a thickish layer on it cool so yeah if, if you have it at work mm. uh, give it a try it's it, it's it does not work for photogrammetry um obviously because it, it creates a really yeah. even layer yeah. but for um the structured light shining mm. 3d scanner uh it is it's pretty cool mm. pretty perfect you you still have so. the shining 3d scanner do they actually upgrade or update the software from time to time because that has been a mess in the beginning uh so they have I think like literally three days ago, they have released the 3.0.0 software version. Okay. Um, from me using it, it looks like it's really just a new skin on the old algorithms, mm -hmm. but um, it is updated. Uh, there are, I think there are a, new, a few new measurement features in there. Okay. Um, but yeah, it is still supported by the newest, greatest, whatever scanner suit there is for, well, specifically for the SE and SP. So okay. both really similar uh products both have the projector and the stereo cameras um, but the sp uh, has like twice the re resolution and a, a larger scanning volume okay um so yeah it's it's still seeing updates which i'm surprised it is okay it has been around for a while it's it's around a thousand bucks or something like that i think the se is a bit less and okay. the sp is like 1500 don't quote me okay <laughs> yeah so, something like that Still, still cool to bring out, and I still need to to give it a try on the tripod scanning mode because right now I'm just doing it with the turntable that's mm -hmm. like auto progressing the scan. Yeah, but it's it's always nice to see because you, you can just plop it down onto the um, turntable. Mm -hmm. uh, it does the revolution, and then you reposition it any way you want mm -hmm. to do it again, and it auto matches those scans, so yeah, that's you, cool. you get really good coverage. Yeah, so it's pretty nice. Just just one tip on the side: if you are also looking into like while doing comparison and measurements and stuff like that. Um, GOM Inspect, which is available for free, um, is just, you can do anything with it. Great tool, kind of easy to use, uh, and you can do anything with it. Considering yeah, I like... I still need to try it out. Measuring and stuff like that, just, yeah. If, if you ever feel the need for, for doing something in that direction. Yeah. It has been recommended to me from various people. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe time to try it out. Yeah. So yeah, that that was just. What what do you do with those those projects that you invest time in? And it's like I don't really know where this is heading. Like this stuff, I've got I've got a really cool render sequence in the video, um, which is you know the full cycles rendered mm. uh, Blender ray tracing. Uh, thing uh, it took like six hours to render uh, it looks really cool on paper but in practice once you print it it's like what the hell is this yeah. uh, what do you do with that like I, 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 I guess I sold it as like hey it's a nice experiment to do uh, to, to learn more about scanning and to draw the sprays and that but it's like it was it looked cool at the onset but just didn't, didn't turn out what do you do with that I, I think you did it exactly right. You there's there's so much stupid stuff on YouTube, and at least 
doing it the way I think you did it adds a bit of like mechanical engineering background or just doing it a little bit I smarter. Guess. So it, it adds value to the process, but it might be entertaining for some that don't like other stuff. And um, yeah, still in the end, you, you learn something and I don't know. We'll see if people will like it, will like it or yeah, not. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in how the video is going to perform <laughs> because it is shot like a vlog, uh, more or less. Mm -hmm. There's no scripting; it's just uh, on the fly, and you know, a few different camera angles, a few different setups. We shall see. Yep. We shall see. Definitely. Should we jump into a few topics? Of course. More 3D Chicken printed nuggets. food. <laughs> Chicken nuggets. <laughs> Chicken nuggets. <laughs> Chicken nuggets. Uh, 3D printed food. Yeah. KFC. 3D printing or wanting to 3D print chicken nuggets in, in Russia. Um, it, well, today I kind of prepared myself and I read through all of the articles that we have on the show in, in the show notes. And so I think what KFC actually wants to do, they are, I think, not only just grinding down chicken and then extruding it into interesting shapes. What they want to do is grow meat protein or meat, I don't know, tissue particles in the lab and then mixing that that with, what did they say? Um, let, let's just say fillers <laughs> and extruding well that. I, I guess it's I guess it's going to be a, a hybrid between lab grown meat, which sounds disgusting, but it's actually like I mean I don't think it's less disgusting than actually farmed meat. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so a mixer of, of of lab grown meat and something that like Impossible Foods are doing with, yeah. it, which is a plant based, made to taste, feel and look like a an actual meat product. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that is actually the, the bigger part of that announcement. The 3D printing is just, hey, buzzword 3D printing lab meat doesn't yeah. sound that cool, so let's do 3D printed. Um, but yeah, it is lab meat combined with a plant-based meat alternative uh, that is then shaped, I guess, into something that looks like traditional chicken nuggets yeah. through your 3D printing process. So 3D printing in, in that connection for me is, is really just a buzzword because, yeah, well... If you know how normal chicken nuggets are made, those are also like extrusion products. You yep. grind down the meat, add like salt and some herbs and stuff like that, and then just extrude it out, cut it into pieces, and uh, yeah, yeah, you're done with your chicken nuggets. Why, why so 3D the, print them? The pink, pink slime, right? That's the yeah, that's the buzzword there. Yeah, the pink slime. But I At think least that's, in the US. Yeah, that's that's. I Don't think a bit of here. an exaggeration, but and they're probably not like uh, cutting the fibers down that much, but it's still a real slurry in the end. And if it, I mean, if you look at uh, it's it's used in the EU, I think as well. If you look at any like chicken-based meat product, like meatballs or stuff, if you have Feinzeklinat. Yes, <laughs> uh, that is you know non-meat chicken parts, as far as I understand it, yeah. that are just you know like the uh, what's it called um, knoppel, yeah, or or, or other non-meat fibers that are used uh, from the chicken. I mean, anyways, uh, yeah. So this is basically a continuation of what we talked about last time. Um, all the different ways of producing three D printer and non non animal meat. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, yeah. that describes it pretty well. No, it's... And it's... now it's KFC that's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> to see. 
really really interesting to see and i'm quite excited to see when uh, when we actually get the opportunity to try the first lab grown meat at some point but i i think this Will this might be an interesting solution for because you basically won't be able to like uh like grow half a cow in the lab you probably will be able to never say never <laughs> Well, at some point. Um, for the next years, we might only be able to produce like small muscle fibers and stuff like that. And sure, instead of trying to form that into a steak, yeah, why not produce chicken nuggets out of it? Might have yeah, the like same taste. Ground meats are already the thing that mm -hmm. you know can be reproduced pretty easily. Yeah. Um, the I guess what's popping up in in my head right now is: yeah. is it actually going to be labeled any different will we be able to tell the difference between you know the the highly processed i guess kfc well i guess if you have drumsticks in, in, a, in a bucket that yes <laughs> but if you have chicken nuggets um would you as a customer because that they're already so that they're fried they're spiced they have mm -hmm. the uh panade uh, around them the batter around them whatever um they you wouldn't really be able to identify that as a piece of meat versus a piece of lab-grown plant fiber mixed meat. I, I just just gonna throw them in with the regular stuff and be like, hey, yeah, you know, we've got, <laughs> we've got a new recipe. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, currently you can already hardly distinguish between like the vegetable-based or non-meat alternative ch chicken-like chicken-like nuggets uh, to to normal chicken nuggets. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be just more of the same. The real challenge will be a lab-grown steak. <laughs> I guess, yeah. 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 yeah, but before before we turn this into a... Uh, into, oh, God, the next topic isn't any better. <laughs> before we turn this into a, a, a vegan uh, podcast, let's talk about road biking, because that's not a topic that, that people get riled up about. <laughs> damn, damn bikers, <laughs> damn cyclists. Um <laughs> Superstrata um, have the, quote, uh, world's first custom 3D-printed unibody carbon fiber bike. That seems oddly specific. Because they're... they're yeah. Because, I, I think because 3D-printed non-unibody bikes yes. have been already around. There are... I think there's a Swedish or Finnish company that produces kind of the joints of the bike with a metal 3D printer and puts carbon uh, pipes or, or tubes just in between. Yeah. Um, Colorfab actually did a 3D printed bike with their ex with their carbon fiber material years ago. And they did it kind of with the same method. They printed the joints and then joined up those parts yeah. with carbon rods. Um, but the thing that Superstrata is doing is they are printing the whole frame as one kind of continuous body, which is really interesting to 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 see how they are doing it and how they're handling the supports and stuff like that. Um, uh, I mean, the the thing about carbon fiber parts, um, especially when it's when it's like low volume like bikes and stuff is that it's still an incredibly manual process like you have to manually handle all the the carbon fiber cutouts um you know all the the demolding uh 
just the if if you want to look at really low volume production, you can have uh, you can have a look at Easy Component, uh, Easy Composites. Um, they show the like you know one off or or maybe a dozen part uh, small series process really well. Um, they've got a bunch of tutorials on YouTube, but yeah, even even with um, bike frames it is still an incredibly labor-intensive process, which is why they commonly, or almost all of them, are made in China or in other places where labor is a lot cheaper than it is here. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really going to be an interesting thing if 3D printing is not just a customization part, but actually a cost-down driver, a, a cost-reduction measure in that case. Indeed. Um, they... <sighs> Well, I have skimmed over the article. Have there been any details what kind of material they're using? Are they just you are they just using like carbon f- well, shortcut carbon fiber filled materials? Are they using any continuous carbon fibers? They are using a uh a continuous carbon fiber thermoplastic composite. Okay. So I guess it's it's kind of similar to what Mark Furch is doing with their yeah. um, carbon printers. Yeah. And desktop metal. And yep. anisoprint. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so well, yes. Well, Markovich were the first ones, uh, right? I think, yeah, they were. Yeah. So they're basically putting well, out of the nozzle, there's basically coming a well, a strand of polymer which has a carbon fiber in in the middle, and the carbon fibers yep. is reinforcing. The plastic and that is a good thing especially for a bike frame because it will see quite substantial loads and the goal for such a frame is that you are not that much well that much heavier than a conventionally manufactured carbon fiber frame the question is, uh, is just because they're, they're using uh, a thermoplastic like, can you actually ride it out in the heat, or you know, if you break hard, is 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 the frame just going to squish to the get if you if you're out in the sun? Uh, yeah, I I asked that question to myself as as well. Well, <clears throat> they are saying uh, it's a good thing that they're using thermoplastics because that makes their bikes recyclable. Even though I don't really understand how you can separate. Can just- the thermoplastic from the carbon fibers later on you you shred it down and you sell it as a carbon fiber 3d printing filament oh yes <laughs> that's a good idea right yeah <laughs> no because the any, anything else that is carbon fiber that is done with a resin needs to be down cycled so yep. it's it's getting chopped down and then uh well sometimes just even used as concrete fill essentially um or you know, best case, you have uh, like nice large shops that you can then use with more resin and put it into a or shape it into a lower grade of carbon fiber mm-hmm. composite. Yeah. So, so this is something. Yeah, but but definitely, um, even if they are using nylon or something like that, I wouldn't be. Well, the question is, there is there are lots of. Also, thermoplastic parts already been used on a bike, glass fiber filled or glass bead filled uh, um, PA. So why not also the frame? Um, Probably because it is carrying more load because it needs to be safer than just like the holder that your smartphone is is attached to. I think it's about size, just simply because it is harder to manufacture those parts 
at a large scale yeah. like if you if you just have a, a brake lever yeah. let's say um those are very commonly just a uh carbon not a not an oriented uh carbon fiber but just a carbon reinforced plastic um really easy um forks yeah uh, road bike forks i've got a canyon road bike not i wouldn't call it a race bike it's just a you know fitness bike um Carbon fiber fork. It's it doesn't look like carbon fiber. It's uh, for carbon fiber. <laughs> it doesn't look like carbon fiber. It's just I think a, a really simple chopped carbon fiber um, fork that's been molded somehow. Seriously, probably super cheap to make. Okay. Um, and yeah, that I think that's one of the one of the parts where it's like slowly scaling up. Mm. So those those simple carbon fiber forks are just you know the new norm now mm. um, because they can now be made after you know smaller bits like brake levers and stuff mm-hmm. or handlebars um, became the norm being made out of carbon fiber. Yeah. So yeah. the interesting thing with 3D printing bike frames is that you can customize them to the customer's needs because everyone has like a different body geometry and you can directly adjust the geometry on yeah how, how somebody is looking and how somebody wants his bike to feel which is just in a limited amount possible with conventional manufacturing methods um it, well you can you can get handmade bike frames um if you've got the cash for it yeah. <laughs> uh but typically not carbon fiber uh, yeah, because yeah, making you need a mold and everything and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's that's probably really expensive. And this is also one of the things where they said, okay, their method, at least if you're doing smaller numbers, is cheaper in terms of what you need to invest because you need just more or less the printer and then you can print any bike frame on it um, instead of having to machine a mold for each bike frame size where you laminate your carbon fibers into so and i think well what they're also able to do is is orient the fibers in a way that they are optimal for the loads maybe saving weights i don't know if that always really works especially because you're still having kind of a layer by layer process if you're doing fdm 3d printing so you do not have the possibility to to be totally free in terms of fiber orientation but well taking a look at a bike frame most of the loads are well i don't know bending loads or axial loads actually uh there will be some torsion torsion is probably not taken that well by uh, just uni axial strands but yeah mm, don't know would probably need to 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 de- need, dictate need more details yeah. yeah unfortunately they are from california so that's not something that we could just hop over and and have a look at but Maybe, maybe one day. Maybe they're going to be at the Eurobike in Friedrichshafen at some point. I don't know if that's happening this year. We shall see. <laughs> um, okay, but staying on the topic of 3D printed bike frames, um, this was a bit of, of, a, of a rant uh, that, I, that I had to, to get off my chest. Uh, a big rep. Uh, venture capital founded or, or pushed uh, a company from Germany that are building big printers. They've got like the one cubic meter printer and now even bigger ones. Um, again, posted about their world's first fully 3D printed e-bike. So 
congratulations to Big Rep for printing, you know, a fully 3D printed e-bike. <laughs> Except that it's not fully 3D printed. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it's if it's the world's first, but um, yeah, it looks really cool. It has a lot of like uh, stark shapes and, and geometric uh, patterns on there. Um but yeah, they've they've printed the wheels, which is which is nice. Um, they've printed the frame, um, cockpit as well, handlebar, all of that, seats. But the actual the, the actual e bike part is just it's just off the shelf components basically. So of course they didn't print um, any of the mechanicals. Um, and they didn't print bearings. They didn't print axles. They didn't print the motor, uh, the batteries, control electronics. Um, does this thing even have brakes? No, I think it's just an electric brake. <laughs> um, have you actually seen it at Formnext? I think I. I think I've. Yeah. Because yes, I've. I think I've already seen it for the last two years at Form Next in some form or another, <laughs> and it looks it it looks quite interesting. I don't know if if it makes any sense, but yeah, calling it fully three D printed is probably a bit a bit too much. Um, but yeah, I I would really be interested to see how three D printed tires perform and if they printed it from like two different materials or if they're just ABS wheels all around and uh, totally so they're, they're, they're saying they're using uh, their own ProFlex which I guess is the flexible material they're using for the tire, tire treads uh, ProHT so probably a high temp PLA or something mm -hmm. using PLA just plain old PLA and PTG okay so I guess this is a print, uh, a print, yeah, a machine that you should definitely not use out in the sun. Um, they're saying they're using the HT for rigid parts, PLA for color details, and PTG for the light reflectors. Interesting. Tires, pumps, seats, and handles are printed with flexible material. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I, I, I do like seeing big new things. Where it's like world's first 3D printed e-bike. I. If that was accurate, I I would cherish the idea. I would, yes, but please, like, who's gonna who's gonna read that and be like, oh, oh, who's not gonna second take that? Yeah, please be realistic with your claims. Marketing. Anyways, I I don't I don't want to rant too much about it because there's so much more in that in that direction that he could rant about, but <laughs> yes. Let's rather talk about 3D printed gunpowder. Oh yeah, that's a much better topic. <laughs> <laughs> so let me open the article. I guess at the outset, um, this is we are we are still not talking about um, Star Trek replicator where you say, "Hey, 3D printer, here's some film, and please print me some gunpowder out of this." That's not how 3D printing works. All, you know, same thing with 3D printed food is 3D printing is just a reshaping process. Um, so you're not 3D printing gunpowder, you are reshaping your existing materials into something that makes gunpowder more uh, or, or perform better. Yeah. But the, well, the interesting thing is those are, uh, yeah, so some Chinese researchers, they 
3 printed gunpowder and I think the first challenge was to well they have been using an SLA printer um, to develop a resin that when it cured out kind of combusts similar to well like a gun propellant um, the interesting thing is that they're not just like printing pellets of material but they're trying to form the charge in a way that it burns more efficiently and maybe more more predictable and maybe more customizable to um to 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 yeah kind of fit it to the need that they have and that is kind of interesting if you usually have a charge i think it's it's just like granulated well gunpowder and then the the fire starts at one end and progresses through the material and you don't have a lot of well possibility to change how the powder burns besides the composition of the powder itself and maybe the grain size and stuff like that yeah so what they've what they've actually printed is a, a honeycomb looking structure essentially um that then gets filled with uh if i understand this correctly with rdx which is an explosive um and if i if i understand this correctly the printed part actually partakes in the combustion process so it's not just a geometric shaping part but it's actually something that that burns alongside mm -hmm. um your explosive and modifies the way um well the the way the combustion happens so that i mean what what exactly is this going to be used for i don't know i guess for for creating new types of explosives um i guess gunpowder or um you know charges for um for ammunition is just one use case um you know commercial deton uh, detonation demolition that sort of stuff of course is also probably going to profit from this but obviously yeah um firearms big and small are one of the one of the use cases they're showing off here mm -hmm. um if we take this a step outside the um, the obviously destructive nature of, of gunpowder printing, uh, what I find interesting is that this is really an attempt of creating a metamaterial out of uh, a 3D printed structure. So um, the shape and the way that these two materials, the RDX and the 3D printed part, are mixed really define the way that uh, the way how they perform. And, and and what they do so uh that's for example something we've already seen with the with gyroid infill where the shape of your infill really determines how it's how it mechanically mm -hmm. performs and i think with the with the amount of resolution and detail reproduction of an sla printer that that has a lot of potential mm -hmm. what one of the projects i also wanted to try for a long time do you remember the salami rocket from the Myth mythbusters so a um a I a high think I do. a hi <laughs> a hybrid rocket where just any combustible material is burned with the help of nitrous oxide okay um and usually you just take like a pipe of wax or paraffin and stuff like that and then this is burning down with the with the oxidizer but 3d printing would give you the possibility 
to form a pipe and an internal structure that the charge burns down in a specific way. So you, for example, want to have not that a high, not that high amount of thrust in the beginning, and then the thrust changes again because the internal structure of the of the um, burning part is is getting different. And this is something where something like that could be really interesting, and also where you can achieve something with 3D printing that is that was not possible with kind of conventional manufacturing methods. So yeah, I'm and I'm thinking solid fuel thrusters for solid, example. Yeah, right it's now. exactly the same. Yeah. So I think yes. there are if you look into model rockets, they also you can get them with different. I don't know in German we say Seele, so like the shape of the different. internal bore that's okay. that starts to burn, and that is then changing. Yeah the thrust pattern of the charge and that is really interesting and if you can even do that in a three-dimensional way um you would be totally free with like thrust patterns um for a small rocket that probably doesn't make that much of a sense but if you're thinking about something different and outside parameters like drag or weight of the rocket and something like that may change you can directly influence that with a, a charge that is formed in a specific way. Yeah, and spa space, space, what is it? Space, space, space exploration. The entire um, SpaceX um, pattern of missions that they're flying now—they've they've just had their their corn silo <laughs> essentially do, do the hop uh, the other day. It's it's like you look at it; it is really cool. Uh, you look into it a bit deeper, and it's it's this rabbit hole that you can go mm. down, and there's so much interesting stuff yeah. to to learn there. Yeah. yeah, fascinating stuff. It definitely is. So, yeah, 3D printed metamaterials. All right, doesn't need to be gunpowder. Doesn't need to be gunpowder. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's hand out a few quick ones, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there is okay. Where, where do we start? Um, Germany. You guys know we have a norm for everything. Um, we have a no norm for how toilet paper is shaped, for how straight bananas need to be, for whatever. Now we ha we also have a norm for open hardware. So this is DIN spec uh, thirty. I just lost the title. Thirty one oh five. DIN spec thirty one oh five which is building on top of the open source hardware definition more or less but now it's putting it into an official well then isn't really a government government body but like an, an official uh norm setting uh, yeah company essentially norm creating company um that's saying okay if you adhere to this then we you, you're adhering to what we would consider open hardware mm -hmm. and so typically the way DIN norms work is even though as a as an engineer or a you know a designer of parts that are going to be used for a specific purpose you need to adhere to them the norms themselves you have to buy they're crazy expensive if you don't have like a student access um, or a library as a student that you can access them they're like a couple hundred bucks a pop and if you design a pro product you need dozens of those um but DINSPEC 3105 is free itself so it's it's a i don't know if it's creative commons or something but it is free to access and it was also developed in cooperation with actual open source hardware people and i think that's just 
it's just such a such a radical 360 degree move for the for the din company mm-hmm. the deutsches institut institute für vernormung is it right yeah yeah I don't know. It kind of makes me happy that that there is that like open source hardware is being uh, recognized mm-hmm. by these like old fashioned traditionalist um, companies, and it's it's actually done properly. Mm-hmm. Um, in what way will this norm help open source in general? So I think how I have read it, it, it is it gives you kind of a guideline what things you need to do that you are in the end really open source. I don't know. Is that um, talking about licenses? Is that talking about which things you need to provide that something is really open source? What you need to uh, provide that somebody else can use your design, modify it and, and use it for their own purposes? Yeah, so I think that's that's actually one of the things that they really focused on the fact that it's not just hey I'm I'm claiming to be open source, but that they're setting well a norm, a standard for what would really be considered an open source hardware design um, that is actually usable. Um, like I said, there are that there were people that are actually working in open source hardware design um, that participated in creating that norm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so one of the quotes from the Netspolitik.org article is uh, loosely translated um, by Martin Hoyer, that they who they interviewed. Um, for mechanical hardware that calls itself open source, only about 10% is really open and uh, well documented in a way where it is usable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, that norm is really defining and, and setting standards for, you know, that level of it's not just calling itself open source but it is actually open source in the in the intent of it Mm -hmm. i guess i guess it's kind of similar to what um, the open source hardware association is doing with the open source certified um i don't know what it's Mm -hmm. called exactly but but that process where they certified i think the low spot um printers and who else there were there were some other um, harder bits that they actually certify. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's it's very close to mm-hmm. that. Um, whereas the Open Source Hardware Association is going into the company and checking everything. The DIN spec is something that you can work towards as a company, and I, I'm not sure if it's self certified or something. But yeah, that is just 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 the idea of here are some things that is going to make open source hardware actually usable instead of just being a uh, one more sticker badge yeah and it is available and i think only available in english so it's something not only well we we germans can now use so it can be also a guideline for maybe getting into uh, an iso norm or sae or i don't know who who is also kind of taken up that that topic and working on it and i think it is really nice because yeah it is hard i i think for if you don't have those guidelines it might be sometimes hard to to really say okay this 
no, let me put it this way. Um, as you just said it, uh, it is a good tool to not only use open source as for advertising, but if you say, okay, I'm open source per Dean3105, yeah. that also means that somebody else has access to all of the data that is behind that and basically has all of the information to use those open source this open source hardware continue working with it and um, might not find at some point that 95% of the stuff is actually missing that he he would or he or she would need to uh, to have for working on it yeah um, the the open source hardware association definition of open source hardware seems to be a bit wishy-washy a bit you know loose on what exactly you need to do to to be usable mm -hmm. i think that then flashes that out a bit mm. so yeah very nice it would be interesting to see which of the uh 3d printing companies that claim to be open source actually are open source um according to dinspec 3105 yeah have you already looked into the norm uh, I don't think I've read it completely, but you can, oh, you have to PDF download by it from the, by, okay. Um, nah, I will, I will, I will. Yeah. I am not. Going to be interesting. Cool. Let's talk about more open source and let's talk about an open source vision-based print correction algorithm. That just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Vision-based <laughs> print correction algorithm. So, yeah, go ahead. So, uh, what Joshua Pierce... Um, Dr. Joshua Pierce. Sorry, Dr. Joshua Pierce and another researcher from the Michigan Technological University have shown is basically a vision-based is it AI? I haven't seen that that buzzword. I don't think it is AI. I think that's one of the things I actually looked at, uh, looked for in that article. Well, so. it, it it says AI at some point, but I don't know if that was just the writer of the article. But what they are basically doing is they're having a couple of stickers around the print pad to calibrate the camera they have one camera taking a look at the print itself and then after each layer or even during the layers they are monitoring what material is laid down and then analyzing that structure and making sure that it is the same as it should be considering the g-code and if that's not the case they can either tell you okay there was a print error during manufacturing or I think they even want to correct during printing itself. So if you have a layer shift yep. or I don't know if, if, if something is just not working as, as it should be under extrusion or so, stuff like that. And that is really interesting because quality control and quality assurance is something that is really, really hard in 3D printing. And one of the reasons why 3D printing is still quite a bit away from real serial production. Of course, you can do things like uh, you take a, a picture of every layer um, and compare it to what it should be looking, but you're not really going to catch small defects like that. Um, if you just you know do an A-B comparison, that's like semi-automated, but this seems to be a 
Well, this seems to be exactly that, but better. <laughs> <laughs> nah, um, so, okay, it, it is not AI. Um, it is a uh, an extensive set of highly numerical image processing techniques. Um, so, uh, I think what what makes it what really makes a difference from uh, something like the Spaghetti Detective that is a trained AI is the Spaghetti Detective does not have an understanding of how the part should look. Mm -hmm. It just looks at okay, this is does this look like a good print or like a bad print mm -hmm. and depending on on how exactly your print is shaped that that indicator can kind of veer left or right um even if the part is going well or going horribly it might not detect it uh so the the unique thing about the does this have a name yet the open source computer vision based print correction algorithm is that it that it really takes into account um don't know if it takes into your, your g code um but it takes into account how the print should be looking um, and compares that to how it is actually looking. And yeah, it, it, it's it's a bit more precise than, than those existing approaches. Um, I wouldn't directly say that it's more precise because I think you could do exactly... I think you probably could do exactly the same or kind of exactly the same if you would just like photograph each layer and that's to even maybe a, a finer resolution. Um, the camera approach from the side that they're using might give you the advantage that you can take some three-dimensional things into consideration as well, so Z-direction. Um, and I think they, well, just, just nicely show what they're capable to do if you use those images and if you use a good numerical approach in order to find printing errors and as as I said before this is a this is really really important work if you want to use 3D printing for serial production parts just think about the the 3D printed bike frame um, right yeah. What kind of quality assurance are you doing to that bike frame in order to make sure that don't has a void at some point that you don't see from the outside yeah. and will break at some point. Um, this is definitely going to into, into the same direction of doing in-situ monitoring of, of the print. And it can either tell you in the end, okay, this part is scrap because that happened, or it can directly say, okay, something happened right here, but I corrected for it. So it's still, it still is fine. Um, again, 3D printed bike frame. If you can't do quality assurance on the whole part, you need to take into consideration higher margin of safety because you always need to say, okay, yeah. there is the possibility that something goes wrong at that direction, at, at that point. So I need to make sure that my bike frame is capable of handling 200% of the load and stuff like that. If you have such a system, you can scale down that factor and save weight in the end and make 3D printing more affordable or the part more affordable in the end and just looking at emissions and stuff like that it's more lightweight and it um, is also maybe a more reliable part in the end so really cool um, open source Ho hopefully we might be able to to have something running in I don't know Octoprint at some point in the future um, perhaps but yeah it's it's just 
it, it might sound like a crazy idea of doing all those calculations in the background, but um, at some point, I think this will be kind of the norm if you want to do proper 3D printed parts. Because, yeah, as I said, it's it's quality assurance. And in the end, you can say, okay, everything is good. I can sell the part. I can use the part. I can use less material and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I think for, for the time being, it's just going to be uh, scrap or no scrap for the part. Um, because the, the real-time, if you, if you consider real-time correction in order to detect that something is wrong visually, it already needs to be going wrong for, for quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we're at the point yet where you can directly look at the nozzle output and be like, oh yeah, this is like 0.5% too much material, which obviously wouldn't make yeah. a difference. But um, you you can't really detect it that finely to where you'd say, okay, I've I've corrected for it the next layer up and now my part is fine. Mm. No, you still have a bad layer yeah. in there. So... Yeah, but so very interesting stuff, and yeah, um, uh, Joshua Pierce, Doctor Joshua Pierce. I was like, that 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 name sounds familiar. And if you look him up, he's actually got a he's got a Wikipedia article. Um, so no no wonder I've heard the name before. And apparently, he's been active in the rep rap um, community for a long time. Um, I guess, yeah, that's that's why you why you would know him. Mm -hmm. Um, very nice work. Definitely well done. Um, now let's see. Let's see it implemented. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Cool. Uh, next article. Um, ah. uh, yeah. Let's let's get into the uh, the ranty topic. I don't know how much how much we we had an hour. Should we do Should we do a topic of the week even? Yeah. 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 Let's fun. let's. Um. Or. or did, did I say we're going to have three quick topics? Oh, <laughs> that, that never works. Never works. Uh, Mighty Buildings. Another 3D printed building company. Another claim of, oh, we're, we're, we're faster, better, cheaper. Okay, so um, Mighty Buildings are a California-based startup. Again, I think. Let me check this out. Yes, so California-based startup that are doing 3D printed buildings again. Um, some of their claims are, oh yeah, um, let me let me point out they have uh, 30 million dollars worth of venture capital uh, in them, so they they kind of have the uh, the need to generate headlines and to you know show progress. So um they have buildings that can be printed within 24 hours with a 3d printer um labor time is 95 percent less cost is 45 percent less but then you actually look at the buildings um and look at their side and it's like oh yeah this 350 square foot building can be printed for one starting at one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars plus a slab plus appliances electrical everything so that's just the, the the frame of the building i guess um and it's tiny and it's like okay but what's what's your what's your value now like if you look at um i don't know haas Fiatikbau or all of the uh, prefab homes that you can buy here for for that sort of money you can get a, a you know a thousand square foot house prefabbed yeah. 
Um, and I'm guessing that's going to be way easier to put electrical and uh, plumbing into than into a hollow core concrete wall um, that's literally just a concrete it's a concrete brick essentially that you're printing um unless of course that you know space for plumbing and stuff is already routed out in the in the print but still insulation electrical finishing all that still needs to be put in Mm -hmm. and then if you look at hey how much is like a you know thousand square foot building and that starts scratching at the two hundred thousand uh dollar mark plus the slab and prep and and <laughs> all that so i don't know what do do you see what what do you what do you see in this am, am i missing something or is this just a another overhyped 3 printing building thing i don't really know what i should think about that um let, let, let me give you a bit, bit time to think. So what, what, what I'm seeing is the building looks kind of cool. So what they're showing is like, you know, the classic shipping container size, but it's got rounded edges on the end. Um, they've got big windows. Um, so it, it, it really looks like a modern building and it's um, it, it is kitted out nicely. It looks like a really modern uh, way of constructing things. Yeah. <laughs> but it's tiny and it's expensive and it's like you, you if you look at how u.s houses are built if you do a stick frame um your I'm, i was surprised that your new um roof edition is actually also stick framed it looks like um the way those are built is like you bang together the frame it takes you a day to build that thing mm. um and then you know you do um you do the siding and you do uh interior drywall that's like another few days but the basic frame until that's up that's that takes you no time at all um so labor costs are minimal as well so i'm not really sure what they are comparing that to i don't know what they are comparing it to either um it does look more futuristic than a normal drywall house uh that that's not really a selling argument but (laughs) i don't know um i even don't think that it's printed in concrete if you take a look at their youtube video that they're having it looks more like it's a full polymer house and that might be one of the reasons why they also say that it i don't know if if that is that ecological because you can shred the house down and print another one with it (laughs) i don't know well it, it depends on the polymer if if you're printing it from abs i'm eh i'm not not sure if you want to do that uh, uh, me neither well <sighs> um i i think it's at least nice to see that that they can show off something and the video that they're showing looks kind of nice compared to other things where you just like print the wall with a, a concrete extrusion machine um but comparing it to conventional methods yeah i don't know if, it, if it's really com- well competitive especially looking at the prices mm. this is something really futuristic where you could say okay um such a technology could be used to 3d print 
houses on another planet or something like that but as for now i don't know i i honestly would kind of st stay away from a 3d printed house if i can get a wood frame conventional house for like half the price or yeah. double the size at the same it's price i mean if if like a 32 square meter 350 square foot house um i guess that would be just at the edge of what would still be considered a tiny house mm -hmm. and if you look at how much people spend for those it is a lot less um no. for sure now what what I'm going to say is I would really like to just spend a day talking to one of the folks or one of the companies that are doing 3D printed, well, quote unquote, uh, 3D printed buildings. Uh, I hear there are some towards the Netherlands uh, up there. There, there are a few there that are actually claiming to, to have printed houses um, or if I ever mm -hmm. make it to California. Um, I would love to to check out what they're actually mm -hmm. doing and what's, what is 3D printed, what is not, and what like the the, the total approach mm. to it is one correction from my side they're not printing in in polymer they are using their breakthrough limestone material which hardens to a stone-like composite so so it's like a, a roman concrete something like that yeah so sorry for for getting that wrong um it, yeah yeah it's hard uh I looking at the design freedom you might get maybe not even printing a whole house but just printing like complex segments that you put together into one big house in the end it, it might be interesting also the possibility to directly include like air pockets on the inside for insulation purposes and stuff like that M might be interesting but the question is always how that compares to a conventional house but on the other hand yeah you, you maybe you gotta st start at some point and maybe this might be something that could be useful to manufacture houses at a location where not so much wood is available but you can truck in their limestone 3d printing material or if you do it on another planet i don't know yeah um i guess yeah this this is really one of the things that i i would love to see actually work and, and work out yeah. um yeah but it's it's just it's just hard to see what the advantage is because the in in let's say let's say you wanna we want a house for you yourself um your wife and a kid maybe or you know you want we want to build something somewhere this isn't the process that you would really look yeah. into i think unless yeah. you you want the the edge of um you want to be that early adopter that that has a 3d printed house honestly just just taking a look at the houses they do look really nice if i would have like way too much money and a big property i think that would kind of look nice in the garden just having as a home for for visitors <laughs> but it's like anything but that that swoopy end yes. you can do you can do with a sick friend yes like literally there's nothing but, nothing but, but that uh, needs to be then you can printed. say okay my house is 3d printed this is one of the only ones uh, there are. Um, if you guys are interested, ch check check out their website. And if you go on Prefab Technology, they show the printing process, the 3D scanning process. Uh, they actually fill the voids in the parts with PU foam for insulation. 
for additional insulation. And then they machine all of the interior and exterior surfaces that you don't see the layer lines anymore. Which is also pretty, pretty interesting yeah. to see. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 that? it's, it's hard to say. As I say, as I said, I think they look cool. Um, not, not competitive at the moment, but I don't know. Uh, there could be applications. Automated PU foaming. So it's spray foam. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, well, like I said, I, I would be really interested in, in you know, checking out a, a real-world 3D-printed house at some point um, and talking to the company, just seeing what's, mm. what, I'm, what I'm missing because I'm sure there's more to it than, uh, yeah, than, than what, the, what the flashy website says um, because if you run the numbers, it just makes no sense at all. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's stay let's stay on the topic of of rants, um, and maybe let's have a bit of a of a topic of a week of of the week, if if we may. Um, crowdfunding, crowdfunding, Kickstarters, uh, Indiegogo's, GoFundMe's. Well, GoFundMe's a bit different, but <sighs> so for for me personally, a while ago, I made the decision I'm not going to be dealing with i'm not going to be uh covering or reviewing or you know having or advertising for uh crowdfunding projects that are not fully delivered to their to their backers yet um and well at least for me my, my review terms my review guidelines are, are up on the website on tomsfree.org everyone can look into that can read through that uh, and that applies to every review that i do so last week I got, I think, three or four emails from, from different parties being like, hey, we've got this thing coming up on Kickstarter. Can you review? Can we send you one? Uh, do you want to review it? I'm like, guys, read the, read the guidelines. And they're like, yeah, we read them. And then I had to actually copy paste in uh, the section where it says, I'm not going to deal with Kickstarters. And they're like, oh, we missed that. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and you, you and I, we were also approached by by someone who is planning to do a Kickstarter and you know wants to wants to do like a, I guess a revenue share um, if we advertise that that upcoming product. <sighs> okay, here's my pro my problem that I have with Kickstarters, and we've we've briefly gone over this before the podcast, just so we we were kind of on the same page. To me, there there are four. Let me actually expand that to five because there is a genuinely good Kickstarter project um, every now and then that, you know, is is well planned, well executed, is a good product in the end. That can happen. But the the four different uh, Kickstarter companies or the, the initiators of a Kickstarter campaign, not, not being Kickstarter specific, Indiegogo, just the same, uh, like four different ones. One, good product. No idea about uh, business, uh, about business management, uh, budgeting, all that. Basically, an engineer like myself will go onto Kickstarter and be like, hey, I've got this cool idea, this cool project that I think I can make happen. And then they drive the thing into the ground. They run out of cash. They they have to, I don't know, sell the product uh, on retail sites before they can even deliver because they, they're kind of trying to get cash in uh, to even deliver their Kickstarter promises. Then two... Uh, the other way around, 
really good marketing, really good business sense, good at making money, product that is never going to work. Uh, just from an engineering standpoint, standpoint where it's like, oh, we've got this prototype, we managed to build one. But if you actually have to build 1,500 of them, it doesn't work out. Uh, three, companies that don't need the funding. Companies that just use Kickstarter as an advertising platform. And we've seen so many of those uh, recently. And it's not like Kickstarter. It's like you're kickstarting a company off the ground. You give them money so they can actually run at scale. And it's like if you have a company that said, that has already sold half a million printers last month, they have no business on being on Kickstarter. And then four, what was the fourth one? Yeah, actual scammers. Those those exist as well. Like people who who just put something out, try to to grab a bit of cash, and just run away with it. So between those four scenarios, I it's it's like every every uh, every company that's approaching me to advertise for their Kickstarter or that they want to re- send me a review sample or I don't know have me push their kickstarter product it falls into one of those four categories i've not been approached by one that i that i think is is actually the genuinely this product belongs on kickstarter we've got a good business sense we've got a good product and we mean well i don't think i've I've gotten one of those let's say at least in a long time Mm. so kickstarters man (laughs) i i feel you but this really sounds very very negative in direction in the direction of kickstarter and in my opinion there are a considerable considerable amount of kickstarters or anything in that direction (sighs) launched that do have the right purpose and they need the money to to start up the company and stuff like that but those i think those are rarely the ones that approach at least us in in the thing that that we usually do and it's the same for me so for example i just yesterday declined exactly reviewing a kickstarter 3d printer that uh quote is gonna be huge at some point whatever and then i said okay no not gonna be doing it then then i get an email back okay we will give you $500. Will you do it now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The, the entire topic of... Um, <sighs> I think I think that that company that sent it out to you was was right away like, hey, what are your uh, terms for review? How much do you charge for a review? Uh, can we send you this printer? It's it's on the it's literally on the website. I don't charge for reviews. I pick which products I review, yeah. not the company paying me to do yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Sure, sure. Now, just... The... <laughs> right, the, the the other thing that's uh, that's kind of riled me up and why this why I've put this topic into uh, the, the the list of, of topics for this episode is uh, that, that dude that approached both of us. Um, oh, okay. There, there was a suggestion in there basically of a revenue share. Mm. Um, so not just, hey, I pay you to advertise for this product, where it's like, you know, you, you book a 15-second sponsored spot, which is, you know, super common. I'm not going to do it for Kickstarter project, but if I genuinely think it's a good product, and you're very welcome to advertise on the channel. But 
Kickstarter product, first of all, but also it's not like, yeah, here's X amount of money to, to do that integration. But, you know, if the project performs well, I'm going to give you X percentage of, uh, of my revenue. And that puts you as a creator, puts you in a really crappy spot because now essentially you own equity in that company. Mm-hmm. You're now a venture capital investor mm-hmm. in that company, not by investing your cash, but by investing, um, your, 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 well, airtime on the channel basically, or advertising mm-hmm. budget that you would be able to, um, to earn otherwise. And it kind of ruins your neutrality towards that product and its competitors because even outside of that video, outside of that very limited and sharply defined Mm -hmm. sponsor spot, you now have a genuine business interest in getting as many people as possible to back that that Mm -hmm. project. (sighs) Totally understand. Please do not approach me with with that sort of stuff. (laughs) Totally understandable. But... I I think this is also well this is kind of a a negative and maybe too negative view on the approach that we had. I just had the uh the impression that that he said okay, I don't have enough money for a marketing budget and if you spend your time I'm happy to share revenue and um you can, I think you can basically take that in two ways. For once, yes, you're definitely invested in the company and the better you kind of market it in the end, the more gain you have for yourself. But I think it was just more as, um, I think I have a cool product. Um, I don't have the reach to do that, but I think it it's not a scam and it will be as I said, something cool in the end. And if you spend your time, I will pay you something afterwards when I have the money from the revenue of the product. This is the way I understood it. And um, true. I mean, that's the that's the intent behind yeah, it. That's sure. definitely the intent behind that. And you, you can definitely take that both ways. Yeah, the result. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just that the, the lines get really blurry at that point. Definitely. Um, I guess it's a it's the same mentality um, because starting from the basic series and and upcoming videos are also going to have uh, more sponsored spots just to uh, well to help me grow the channel and to 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 find I mean I want to do Philween but I I don't I I can't do Philween I need more people for Philween so I'm going to hire someone else at some point and you know it, it costs money obviously um, but yeah the with sponsor spots and with anything that is like an affiliate program or a anything else like a a paid tutorial for mm. Himera conversion you really have to be clear about the point that it is uh that that you're allowing the company to advertise on your channel because you think they make a good product mm. not that you're saying you're making a, a not that you are going to portray the company as making a good product because they pay you no. so um, I've had the discussion with with my mom uh, recently, um, who's handling all the the sponsor contacts for me. I mean, she she works for me part time, um, and and she was like, "Well, you know, you got to be careful how you review that product, and because they they have already booked and want to continue booking sponsor spots." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Ah, I nah, ah, I I don't have to be careful. Like, if they make a crap product, then I will very happily say that, and I will happily." 
yeet them off the channel for sponsorships uh, indefinitely if they really make something that does not work as advertised, it's just a ripoff. Yeah. And with a Kickstarter project, you can you can't even know yeah. that. Um, so something I've got on the website is uh, let me let me actually read this off real quick here. Um, reviews of pre-release products provide limited value to end users. Um, NMTS, that's my company name, will not accept any pre-release hardware for review. Identical conditions apply to crowdfunded products. Due to a history of drastic changes between the campaign and the final release and the recent rise in crowdfunding fraud, we will also not review crowdfunded products that not have yet been completely fulfilled to customers. So that possibility of we have a great prototype that works and that does everything as, product, as promised, but the finished product, we need to be cost down and, and feature limited version. That can also happen. Um, so, or it's just going to be a, you know, a, a, let's say it's a hot end and they have a really good heat break, but they find a way to machine it more cheaply, to produce it more cheaply, but it doesn't quite work as well anymore. Like, what are you going to do there? Um, unless the thing is shipping, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to deal with mm -hmm. it. <sighs> so yeah 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 that is definitely yeah. a a very brave decision and uh also just shows that you as listeners and viewers always well need to need to pay attention uh because there is lots of advertising money flowing into different channels and resulting in reviews and just I don't know, unboxings, testings, or whatever uh, of products that, yeah, are might not come on the market at all or might come on the market in, in, in a different manner. So, yeah, just keep that in mind. Yep. Good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Glad that's off my chest. <sighs> <laughs> All right, uh, so then maybe maybe let's stop ranting and uh, get to the questions, which today is just one question. Yeah. So Thomas A88 is asking question: Have you <laughs> have you printed uh, in exotic materials or ordered such prints online? Any specifically thinking about ceramics? I'm thinking about ordering some sh some from Shapeways, but it looks like Shapeways no longer offers no longer offers that material. Do you think that PLA prints at home would be suitable to indicate model printability, or should I expect to order multiple samples? So he's basically asking if we have experience with ceramics, if we have experience with ordering from one of the um, Dienstleister. Uh, 3 printing services 3D agencies, printing services uh, print print to order yeah and <clears throat> if pla printing apart at home can indicate well printability with another technology or uh material so yeah wh what's your take on that have you printed with ceramics before no how how no. could you print with ceramics <laughs> so uh isn't there the lay brick or one of one of the um one of the materials from that guy that is like a, a washable or that 
Yes. Then you kind of transform after the print. Yes. I think that that's one of the few ways that you could print with an FDM process, yeah. with a filament process, uh, that does ceramics. So yeah, there are FDM materials that are ceramically filled and that you then basically either uh, use a solvent to get out the binder or you just burn out and then sinter together in an oven. There is Formlabs ceramic resin, which uses SLA as a printing process, and then you do basically the same in the end. You burn off the, the SLA yeah. binder resin and then... Okay. Exactly. I don't know so if how... there's direct like laser sintering of ceramics. I wouldn't be aware of that, but I could be wrong, or at least in, in a commercial way. So... Uh, that would be the, the next question. Like, how does Shapeway do it? Probably with an SLA process. I, I would su suspect that because that offers you lots of details. And uh, it's, well, you don't have the layer lines as you would see with FDM 3D prints. And the parts themselves usually also look better from what I have seen in the past. But I don't know what they did. Right. Apparently, there's also a um, yeah. So binder jetting. Yeah, uh, you can do. Of course, um, but also the same thing in the end: burn out the binder and then sinter the part. Yeah, but it's um, uh, who's who's the the company that does the gypsum full color print uh, now part of someone else? Z Corp. Okay. Back in the day, um, those those were binder jetting. Um, no, what was it binder? I guess it was binder jetting, yeah. Um, so technically, those those are ceramic prints as well. But yeah, it's mostly according to this article that I found on All3DP, um, binder jetting uh, TLP is apparently something that that also happens a lot. Um, yeah, or of course the if you want to do uh, if you want to do really coarse stuff, you can do the extrusion process where you have a, an actual ceramic paste that you um, extrude. And then you get a, a solid ceramic part right away. Of course, but I, I don't think that's the uh, that's the approach that uh, Thomas A eighty eight is looking into. Okay, so um, next step: Have you ever ordered something from a three D printing service provider? I have not. I've not had the need, but I've been offered a credit for Think Shapeways or, or mm -hmm. one of the, one of the companies that does that. Yeah. I I think I haven't ordered something either either, but yeah, I have the I would say opportunity to at least uh, get in touch with metal three D printing at work and also with lots of other technologies there. Um, it sometimes is a nice opportunity, especially if you are like developing a product and you don't want to invest in in injection molds right away to um, order. Um, SLS nylon laser centered parts right. because they can look really nice if the surface finish is right at the end and they uh, can also be be really strong so that could be an opportunity to get one of those parts but yeah as I said I haven't done that either I actually wanted to do a video there is one big big hardware store in Germany called Tom Baumart and they are also offering a 3d printing service where you can do everything sorry 
from FDM over SLS over metal 3D printing using, I think, Materialize as the service provider or some, somebody else. Okay, so it's it's not them having an, an array of 3D printers in the store. No. It's, it's getting shipped it's out. It's getting okay. shipped out, but just ordering a Benchy FDM 3D printed in ABS was like around 100 euros. So I thought, okay, wow. too expensive. Not going to do that video. <laughs> What would he use that for then? I don't because even for 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 like repairs of of household appliances and stuff for for that sort of money you can buy the thing yeah. new. Yeah, there, there were yeah. okay. They they advertised it quite a bit at our hardware store, and I thought, yeah, why not try it out? Might make an interesting video, but it, it, I didn't want to invest that amount of money because, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Usually, when when you have uh, our sort of of reach, uh, you reach out to the to the press department. They're like, "Yeah, sure, we're gonna we're gonna ship you anything you want." Yeah, that's, that's... Really, but anyways, if it's yeah. not a, like I said, if it's not a good product, yeah. then uh, yeah, why why come? Yeah. So there are services available from Shapeways to 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 any other ones. Um, I haven't used them so far, so maybe let's get to the third part of the question. Do you think that PLA test prints um would show a suitability for for model printability to some extent definitely yes and i can also say from my experience that you have that if you have a metal 3d printed part so direct metal laser sintering just fdm 3d printing those parts at first already gives you a really good indication if the part is printable or not to some extent um considering overhangs and, and things like that where the fdm print usually looks horrible the metal part won't work at all or it would also look horrible yeah. um but depending on that, the technology um there are different design rules so it doesn't work for for every technology true but it is surprisingly similar mm. how the uh, how the limitations align mm. between you know even between slm uh, fdm sla they all kind of have that same you know you have a minimum wall thickness you have mm. certain geometries that don't work because they're going to warp uh, you have overhangs that that are not going to work so yeah it's going to give you a rough idea if it's going to work but just looking at at resolution um if you're ordering like specialty stuff, ceramics, you probably got like like a high detail mm. part, I'd guess. Um, so maybe scale up your PLA test print, uh, you know, by two by a factor of two or something. But in general, I just because it's it's so different on the on the fine detail and resolution mm. side, I don't think it's it's going to give you much of an indicator of if it's going to work. But I mean, if it's going to work in PLA, it's probably going to work on a finer ceramic. SLA or binder jetting process better? Maybe. I guess. Yeah. I think it at least it doesn't harm. Um and I often see that if people just don't have that much ex- experience with 3D printing in general, 3D printing a part out with a cheap process like FDM um already gives you a good indication what can be 3D printed and not, and then you can just yeah. take a look at different design limitations of of other processes, be it minimum, maximum wall thickness. Maybe even print the part in ABS or something that is a little bit more well harder to print because that yeah. could indicate earlier that something is is not working. Because with PLA, you can basically print almost anything, even 
without support structure. So yeah, maybe use ABS. So stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, maybe even the, the fourth uh, or the, the last part of this question, should he expect multiple samples? Depending on the complexity of the part, oh. I would always suggest to expect an iteration. Yeah. If, if you haven't used the technology for a couple of times. Yep. For sure. But um, yeah, the, the test printing with PLA is going to give you probably a better and, and if you if you tune that print to print well on or the parts to print well on a on an FDM process, you're probably going to get a, a better starting point um, for tuning it uh, once you start going into your actual process. Exactly. Cool. So I hope that answered that. Oh, right. Headphones are actually still comfortable today. Um, got the uh, Biodynamics DT770. Cool. Uh, same ones I use uh, on the on the regular one, uh, just with a close back. Yeah, really like that the fit on of these. So still like my my <sighs> Bose QC twenty fives, but <laughs> it is it is nice yeah. having a comfortable pair of headphones. So all right, absolutely cool. So we we, we done? Yeah, I we're think done. we're done. Uh, yeah, thanks for your nice. time, time, Tom. Thanks for thanks, you listening. Thanks for finding the time stefan in these uh busy times for you yeah i i'm always saying that i hope next time it's going to be at a more regular interval but we'll see we'll see times are changing i yeah i i feel like the um it, it's my turn to to get this uh, more efficient process done for recording this because right now we're, we're still sending files back and <laughs> forth we got two audio tracks two camera tracks you have to sync them all together edit them and then I'm working on working we, on. we should get a podcast editor, but YouTube revenue, I think, would not even pay for that. <laughs> no, I don't think so, no. <laughs> we need sponsors on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, I've just seen your video has gone online 32 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, I need to publish the uh, Prusa Printers uh, site as well because that's linked in the, in the video. Cool. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to get to that right now. Do that. So and thank you all for listening, watching staying through the uh, one and a half hour episode thank you Stefan for taking the time you're welcome and we're gonna see you next time bye <laughs> <laughs> A- ASMR uh, let's do a sync clap <laughs>